Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and today is episode 35. And today we're talking about the important issue of mental health, mental illness, especially in the context of Asian culture and heritage. And what does that mean for us to be able to support one another? Let's do this. Hey, thank you guys so much for joining us today and listening into this conversation. It's been really great to continue it and to be able to explore different topics. And today, we have a very important topic. As always, Bernard is here. Bernard, what's going on? Heyo. Yes, yes. And we have two very special guests, Herman Chow and Estella Chong. Thank you guys so much for coming and being part of this conversation. We're excited to hear from you. Now, both of you guys are counselors. Is that correct? Would mm-hmm. that be the correct term? Technically, what? Psychotherapists? Psychotherapists. Yes. Yeah, technically, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yes. For, for Ontario. Wow. That's awesome. More letters in any name is always better. <laughs> it's all good. I'm so excited. Before we jump into it, could you introduce yourself a little bit and also describe what your experience has been like as an Asian in Canada? What's been your story? Well, my name is Herman. So I came over to Canada when I was 11. Okay. I had my birthday on the plane. So remember that very clearly. <laughs> yeah, that was 1976 when I came over. So okay. it was quite a while back. Where did yeah. you come from? Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Yeah, okay. I was born in Hong Kong, came over. The whole family in- immigrated over at, when I was 11. I was, I'm the youngest. I've been here ever since, right, basically. What was the transition like? What was it like moving here? Yeah, for, for me, it was a difficult one. I think I remember putting up a bit of a, a struggle internally yeah. and Externally, I, I refused to learn English when I first came over. <laughs> I, I just didn't, I feel it's like almost like a betrayal coming over here, you sure. know, things like that. And I was missing my friends. So the first few years, I was actually more with a group of uh, Taiwanese folks. Okay. Right. It was interesting because they, they were actually the one that brought me to church. Oh. Yeah. But yeah. it didn't start off like we didn't go to church right away. The first time I ever stepped me into church was actually a dance. <laughs> yeah, it was a dance. Dancing in a church. Dancing wow. in a church. Definitely but, not Baptist. <laughs> definitely not Baptist and definitely not the kind of dancing that you were thinking about. <laughs> right? Uh, so, but that's how I began, right? And uh, and then that point with just the uh, youth fellowship was more like, for me at the beginning, it was just basketball, you know, sure. sports, stuff like that. But later on, that's when I went to another church, uh, Mississauga Chinese Baptist Church. Okay. Yeah, so that's when I, I find my own spiritual journey really took off. That's around that time, mm-hmm. right? But in terms of being Asian, I mean, I went through a period of struggle, like I said, about like knowing my identity mm-hmm. around that. First few years, I refused to speak English, and then later on, I refused to speak Chinese. <laughs> in a way, uh, after a while, you know, I, I sort of accept both roles. Sure. Yeah, so I think right now I could speak both uh, fluently enough. But uh, yeah, so definitely going through the identity piece for me. Right, mm. so I could I could identify with both first and second generation. Yeah. So later on, when I was a pastor, I was a pastor for about twelve years. Right. So I was working with the English speaking folks, uh, you know, just like probably some of you guys are. So I guess I was able to identify with a lot of them in some yeah. ways. But in some ways, they're very very different too. A lot of them are actually very embracing of the Chinese culture. They sure. like to go to listen. A lot of them actually like to listen to Chinese music and it's K-pop. And, and, it's K-pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's K-pop, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like my talk to my daughter. She loved K-pop. I, 
I have a lot of K-pop music on my, on my phone right now. Right? Do you understand it? K-pop? You, yeah. Oh, God, no. God, no. No, not at all. That's God not you the gifting and... of, no, no, of interpretation. No, and... not at all. <laughs> Only when they speak in English. <laughs> right. I remember you used to really hate another you know, term, joxing. Like mm-hmm. I don't know whether you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. Like because it's almost like you almost like you are less than Chinese. Yeah. Right. So I remember growing up, I I have some struggle with that. I, I that's why in the beginning I, I refused to speak English. I, I I'm very Chinese, you know, did all that Chinese stuff. So yeah, I think right now I I see value in obviously in both. Mm-hmm. I would consider myself probably pretty Western though. Sure. Like in terms of my thinking and and whatnot, but certainly I can be appreciative of the Chinese cultural background that I do have. Absolutely. Yeah, it helps me to understand my clients better. My, they don't even have to be Chinese. I mean, just the, even the awareness of the different generation, uh, different uh, even the immigrant families, mm-hmm. right? So some of my clients are definitely from that realm. So having understanding about what they go through, it's, sure. it's helpful for me to work with them. Yeah, and yeah. how would you describe what you do? So after I left my, I guess, my pastorate, right now I'm doing full-time being a psychotherapist. Okay. But I, I, I do that, but I also teach. I teach at two different universities. I teach at Tyndale. I'm involved in the counseling program here, teach mm-hmm. a couple of courses. Mm-hmm. Also, I teach at uh, University of Guelph, and I also do supervision. Mm-hmm. I supervise uh, other counselors, students, or therapists who are either try to get some kind of certification so try to assist them, helping them. So I'm always interested in those kind of helping role. Yeah. So those are the three main pieces that I do today, I would say. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Estella, what's your story and what's your experience been like as an Asian in Canada? So I, I was born and raised in Singapore, so not Hong Kong. If you have heard from Singaporeans, we don't see ourselves as Chinese. Like you ask us who we are, we say we are Singaporeans. Singaporean, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so, and also, a little bit context of my Singapore experience is that I was considered myself a second-generation Chinese. Mm. So I'm, like, second-generation here, that uh, growing up, we would speak our Chinese dialects at home. But in school, and among our siblings, we would use English, because right, English yeah. is our first language. <laughs> so coming over to Canada, just a little bit back, is that uh, I, we came as so-called mature students. We, we got married before we came. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a little bit uh, connection there, I mean, to what we're discussing about what, what is Chinese, or what is our context. So uh, the one thing that my mom, I remember my mom telling or I told my husband that my mom will not allow me to go overseas with you if we are not married. <laughs> so we're thankful we got married and we came here. It's, to me, it's almost like a, a honeymoon. And yeah. my personality, I like the it's an adventure for me going to a faraway country. You know, yeah. Singapore, Singapore to Canada is very far. Sure. So I enjoyed uh, our first three years here. And then we went back to Singapore and then we came back again. So that's when we have stayed on since then and doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, which is? Which is uh, psychotherapy. So, uh, so like Herman, I, I, I have a private practice just to do uh, counseling uh, individuals, couples and family. Mm-hmm. And another role that I have is, uh, well, my husband is a pastor, missionary, so I call myself a pastor's wife and now a missionary wife. 
And so part of my work is also being with the Christian communities. Mm-hmm. So my husband also trained the same in the same thing as I do. Uh, it's just that he went the pastoral track, where I, whereas I went the clinical track. Right. So we, uh, we would like to say that we work well together as a couple <laughs> in the church as Good. well as uh, any... Uh, like we we get invitations to do uh, seminars, retreats, or and I do as well uh, on my own to do some uh, some sessions on like uh, I mean seminars and workshops on counseling mm-hmm. topics. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I get uh, myself preoccupied with all this. And, <laughs> it's a lot. And then supporting my husband in the missionary work. In terms of my experience as uh, Asian in Canada or I would say locally in Toronto, Mm -hmm. I would say I'm very thankful, I guess, because of my contacts, uh, uh, English as my first language, and also coming as as an adult, not a a child, a young child. I felt very at home here in terms of interacting with people. All right. So in that sense, I'm very thankful that I have not experienced any discrimination or lockdown. And in fact, I'm very happy to be exploring uh, and hearing other people's story and then relating with each other. Yeah. You know? So when they know that, oh, I can speak English, then they will want to know more about my Chinese culture, which sure. I love to share. Sure. Like my family, which is very Chinese still, even <laughs> though we speak English. Right. Yeah. And also with other Chinese who don't speak well in English, I'm also thankful that I can speak Mandarin and Cantonese so I can, I say, uh, it's not fluent, but I can definitely converse with you. Yeah. I can understand you. Feel free to share from your heart language. I'll just uh, intersperse with Chinese and English and hope you can understand. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I interact with them. And they are happy mm. to relate with me in that way. Yeah. And, and just like uh, Herman, when my husband was pastoring in a Chinese Hong Kong Chinese church, well, as an English-speaking pastor, mm. because we, we say that we cannot... Uh, preach or teach in Chinese, uh, just <laughs> converse. Yeah, so we are relating with the second generation, the kids. You know, it's just like we would. I, I mentioned just now that I see myself as a second generation mm. as well. So I relate well with them. Or I want to assume I would relate well with them. And and the other thing is that the parents also appreciate that we can understand them. Yeah, in their culture as well as their you know the the issues that they want to talk with us. Even in Chinese, we can we can hear them. Sure, yeah. absolutely. So that's what we we um privileged to be able to be involved. In. Yeah, and that's totally a gift to be able to communicate in different languages and have those similar experiences. That when you are in ministry or you are counseling, that. Uh, you can identify and you can be able to just say like, oh, you know what? I, I remember even for myself kind of what I went through, right? Yeah. yeah I was just going to say the episode before this, uh, we interviewed someone named Sun Chang Ra, who's a Korean American theologian. And he was actually describing uh, exactly the kind of life lives that you have lived. Like this is kind of 1.5 generation yeah. where you're kind of bridging in sure. between, yeah. you know, the first and second generation. And like, to empower this generation is so crucial mm-hmm. because we have translators who are translating between generations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But without the translators, the two generations really kind of get lost in the dissonance of how they see, you know, what is church and what is my identity. Right. And, and so, and so I think it's cool that mm-hmm. we get to hear a little bit into your narratives right. of how this is kind of lived out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, the whole idea of third consciousness, right? Like kind of like, yeah. 
you know, being able to navigate and be a bridge between mm-hmm. different cultures and, and generations. Yes, for sure. Now, the topic we're going to be talking about today in terms of mental health and mental illness is a big topic. And in the last couple of decades, there has definitely been an increased focus on this issue. So what have you guys observed over the last couple of decades as people have talked more about it, as it's been more open, especially coming from your profession? What has that been like for you guys? Uh, what I noticed when I first started doing this kind of work, mm-hmm. I would say 15 years now, like probably, I, I think that a lot of stigma yeah. around doing therapy, counseling, especially I think within the Asian culture. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, still there is the stigma is still here, right? I mean, they would say like even currently, I think the last stats that I read about, they said Asian Americans are three times less likely to want to even get mental health sort of issues, right. counseling kind right. of help than their white counterparts. Three times less likely. Yeah. Wow. So I think I think it's still true today, but I think it's even probably worse even before. Okay. I think things like, uh, you know, the Bell Less Talk or programs like that, that's a, a real push to normalize mental health, mm-hmm. right? It's no different than physical health. So I think that's definitely some, some moves around that. So that helps with the stigma. I mean, 15 years ago when I was doing this work, I think it's harder. Currently, I, I do have lots of people who calling me up for like counseling. Mm. Uh, and and my, my, my own clientele, I don't know what about for Estelle, is that it's pretty diverse. So Asian or not Asian, different uh, religious background. So it's pretty diverse, right? But in terms of the, for the Asian folks, I do see there are more people willing to ask for help. Okay. Right? But certainly I think like more likely is when they are at the end of the rope. That's when they come. Right. That's usually is not the first thought they have. It's not like they don't look at it at a, as a preventive kind of thing. Mm. Right. Uh, whereas when they, by the time we get them, it shows usually is pretty tough already. Right. Right. I mean, that's what I noticed. But yeah. certainly, I mean, like I said, overall, I think it's better. Sure. Right. But I mean, I think there's still a lot more work that needs to be done to normalize mental health. Do you find that there's like a difference in how the first generation and the second generation approach mental health? Oh, for sure. I think there's more uh, second generation have more acceptance of it because they're more westernized. Yeah. Therefore, I think they're more open to that concept a bit more. I think the very first generation of Chinese, there's a lot of shame and, and yeah. stigma and almost like, hey, we probably are familiar with this, right? In our own background, you know, in the very, like my parents, like for example, right? They grew up during the war time. Right? My, my, my dad went through the war. Mm-hmm. So like therapy, what are you talking about? You, <laughs> like, you know, just tough it up and you right. press on. And you, deal with it. Right. You work hard. You, you just push on. Right? I mean, that would be the mentality. Right. I mean, those kind of mentalities served them well during the war time, right? I think that was good. Sure. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, they did, you do what you do to survive, right? But of course, now that in our generation, now my generation, that is something else. We're not in a war time. We, we have other issues. But not sometimes not even have, having the voice to ask for those help. Right. Sometimes they feel like maybe their parents will shame them, dismiss them, mm. things like that. That makes it harder for them to ask for help. Right. Right. But I do find second generation slightly better. I mean, they 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 are more, a little bit more freedom, to ask for therapy help. Right. Yeah. So that's my take on it. First generation, I still see it as more difficult. They will come, but usually I find it is. Later on, right <laughs> near the end. I mean, they feel yeah. almost like they run out of options. Yeah. It's almost like, but they're coming in, of course, they're expecting you to give them a pill and fix it. 
right? <laughs> they they see us more as doctor and not as therapist, which mm. is very different, mm. right? They expect a, like a well, just tell him what to do or tell her what to do, right? And then therefore the the, the problem get fixed, right? But of course, you know, for those of us who do therapy, we know that's not even how how that works. So I think it's different. Sure. I mean, so it's how they look at therapy, how they look at counseling is is very different. Sure. Would you guys say that mental illness was ever viewed as weakness? Definitely, yeah. I, I think the terms mental health and mental illness mm. make a lot of difference yeah. to us uh, Asian cultures. I think it's the, the terminology, the words and phrases that we use. So for for Asian, I mean, we, we had to look at the, the word, the Chinese word itself. <laughs> okay. So it's really referring to your brain. This but is it's interesting. Really, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's, it's really... Uh, it has a negative connotation yeah. to it too, yes. right? historically. Yeah. 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 So, so I think in the past, what, what would we call that? Like schizophrenia and... Well, like but those psychotic? are yeah. Well, those are the English terminology, yeah. but the Chinese typically would. No, I mean that they would see that as right. mental illness. Yeah, they would call it like in yeah. Cantonese. You, what you said was in Mandarin, right? Yeah. Cantonese would be ding sang bang. Yeah, like would be some kind of uh, like illness in the brain. Yeah, and it's like it's like you you're secluded. You know, you're set apart, right? You, you if if you have this, right? You're yeah, you're not. You, you shouldn't be in the community. Secluded. You right. shouldn't be in the society. They see you as different. Different. Yeah, exactly. yeah, marginalized. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I mean, I think that's true in most culture anyway, yeah. right? When you're talking about people with mental health, most right. of the time, that's how they see you're different, mm. right? Something's wrong with you. Like, I remember in Hong Kong growing up, I mean, there's a place in Hong Kong, it's called Tingsan. Yes. It's a mm. name of that. You know that, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's where they have one of the mental health hospitals. Yeah, there. that's right. So when people, like, it's almost like a degrading term, right? Right. If you are somehow, even if you're not actually, you know, have mental health issues, but if you've spoken like a bit like, you know, different or crazy or whatever that they deem you, oh, you go to Cheng San or, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's become a, a degrading kind of thing, sure. right. right? So I think in the, in the Chinese culture, I don't know whether in the Singaporean where it's very similar, right? Yeah, I guess uh, it depends on the, the decades. I mean, you mentioned about the decades, yeah. like those, those times in the, in the wartime, pre- yeah. and post-war, yeah, they, they experience differently. Yeah. But of course, for us in our so-called now this generation mm-hmm. we're thankful what what you you share i totally agree mm-hmm. with, with that but on on the the post or the the good news part of it is that well we're thankful for at least here the the government like i see on the news you know that they, they are they keep uh, talking about mental health mm-hmm. making mental health illness and awareness yeah so i think that's great and, and then in schools, and I, we, we know it in, in Tyndale, we have a big counseling uh, department. Yeah. Uh, but we're also thankful to hear uh, that other universities, schools, they are also having uh, like a, a school counselor, you know, so that they are taking care of the uh, mental health or the emotional health of the students. So I think that's, that's great. And so that is contributing uh, to people becoming more self-aware of their issues mm-hmm. and and through the teaching and news they and hopefully also through friends you know mm-hmm. that they are able to not see that like you know um, I'm feeling a bit down I'm feeling sad it's not an illness you know like something that can be treated it's not that it's you know it's like cancer you know that's it mm. you know, but they are looking for help 
So I think that's that's a good news part of it that we we are recipients of all this uh, people who are needing help. I see this as a calling for my work. Yeah. That God is uh, using me as an instrument mm-hmm. to be able to offer help to those who need it. Yeah. yeah. And cause as early as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are thankful that the younger people are really coming up. They are really letting us know their their issue. And the and other, another part from my experience is that the parents are also becoming more aware okay. of the need of their children. It's not just uh, education. It's not just uh, like physical, yeah. uh, like food. Like have you eaten? Like in Chinese, like <laughs> that's when very they important. see you, have you yeah. eaten? You know, are you full? Are you hungry? You know, or when it's cold, you know, wear your hat, wear your coat. You know, but now they're asking. They're learning to ask, "How are you feeling?" And this is a new language to them. And yeah. I'm really thankful. I really want to show appreciation to the the parents, you know, that that generation of that they are wanting to learn how to be more helpful for their children in all aspects. Mm. I'm really thankful for that. Do you think that it has been a difficult step for parents to be able to kind of take those steps, or for those in first generation to a second generation? to be able to ask that and maybe even to be more aware of that for themselves? Well, I see definitely, a lot of nodding. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely difficult. Yeah. You know, I mean, even for us who are, who are so-called English-speaking, who are trained, it's, it's hard to, to admit even to yourself, right? Mm. And in terms of Asian family, we, we know about honor and shame. Yeah. It's a big part of, sure. of Asian family. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. uh, you know, like in, in the past when, you know, you, you will be secluded, you know, like you look as look at as a, like a mad person, you know, if you have uh, you know, some mental issue. It's, it's really a shame yeah. for the family and, and they mm-hmm. really don't want to like you know, air their dirty mm-hmm. laundry out. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, for them to, to accept it, to face it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to, to acknowledge it mm-hmm. is so difficult. Yeah. But when... But we always say it's, it's a small step. It's the first step that right. you need to take. So again, I'm honored to have clients that are not the, 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 the child that is ill, but the parents that have a child who is not well, like right. depression, like severe depression, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do. So they they try, you know, like, okay, get out from the, you know, get out from the bed, <laughs> not right. eat more, you know. But it's not helpful, and then they get into conflict with their children, sure, right? right? And the children got worse. So they, again, uh, thankful that they found help. They, they are taught. They'll say, oh, we as parents need to learn as well. And right. so they are coming to us to learn how to be a parent that can help their children instead of mm, being, that's great. Uh, that will uh, prevent them from getting healed. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of learning, and I really appreciate them staying on course and say, okay, I want to learn more. I want to. And then when they come back uh, for the next session, when something works, mm-hmm. they say, oh, it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they want to learn more. Right. Yeah. So that's, right. that's the sure. positive part of it. Yeah, for sure. I think even in our last episode, we were talking a little bit about shame and how it is a communal part of our lives, right? It's not just reflective of ourselves, but it is a reflection of, you know, or, or at least a perceived reflection of our family. And, what does that mean for us and that the, the pressure that adds? And um, yeah, it's, it's crazy to hear about some of these things you guys are talking about. Anything to add, Herman? 
Yeah, I mean, even the feeling of shame, right? I mean, we know from working with people, from attachment, shame makes people hide. I yeah. think about Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they, they had. Sure. So I think sometimes uh, I find that even though I think education certainly is important to help parents to educate them about mental health. I think all those things are good. Hmm. Uh, is needed. But I find from personally, I find that sometimes they can even not like in the head knowledge, they can say, yes, mental health is good. But when they, when they are working with their own children, right. And when they are actually, uh, it's become personal then, right. It's not somebody else's kids, it's your own kids. Hmm. And then our own shame, our own guilt, our own fear about what this label means for our child. I think that stuff on a human level, it gets in the way yeah. from them to really fully to say, yes, my child needs help, right? It's, it's no problem. If you ask them, like, logically, is it a good idea for them to get help? They will always say, yes, it's a good idea, sure, right? But when it comes to your own kids, I, I think it, it's a different layer. It's personal, right? Then your own shame, your own guilt. Am I not doing something right as a parent? I'm afraid that if my kids have this label, how they how, would this label carry with them for the rest of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those stuff that, that is part of our basic human emotion, but it gets in the way of us fully embracing and, and helping our kids to get help, mm-hmm. right? So I do think that that's an extra layer to it. Yeah. So, so you guys have kind of talked about how the culture has responded to mental health. I'm curious, how have you seen the churches respond to mental health? Well, that's a big question. Yeah. Yeah, lucky I'm no longer working for churches, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, part of it is not, like, to, to affirm or to yeah. kind yeah, of no. critique, because I think the reality is maybe some of what we're discussing now mm. will be kind of prophetic uh, in nature to speak to the reality of how our churches need to respond. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, like, we want to acknowledge where we've come from and the things we've wrestled through, and what it could mean for us to move ahead yeah, and as churches. I, like even recently, it's been really cool. One of the the parents um, that I used to work with because uh, I was their kids' youth pastor, they had reached out and was like, hey, we want to do this mental health clinic uh, or, or this kind of training. Like, who would you recommend? And, and so it's kind of like even even seeing, like now that I'm no longer part of their lives, like we, there's still a need mm-hmm. and they're still realizing that, yeah, this is, this is something that's important. So I think mental health is is so-called worldwide. It's, it's not just Asian culture sure. people. It's, it's a human thing that we all uh, can encounter or experience. So we are thankful that pastors are getting more aware, right? So it, it, again, either through, through the government, you know, the news and all that, or just through friends and uh, teaching that they, they go through themselves as pastors. Like, I think you, you guys go through through trainings, right? Yeah. So uh, they... Not nearly enough. Ta- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we call that training. Yeah. <laughs> We're both Tyndale grads, so... <laughs> yeah. So becoming more aware of what, you know, like we, we talk about holistic ministry, yeah. you know, not just this scripture, the Bible, uh, spiritual, but also physical, mental, emotional, right? So the pastors are beginning to be more aware and I know that some uh, pastors either training, counseling, or they um, recruited counselors as yeah. part of their staff, you know. And I also have been a contract therapist to two uh, Canadian churches. And so uh, this is really meeting a lot of, of needs because pastors either don't have the training, sorry, or don't have the time to be looking into each individual cases right. of more mental health issue that the, the congregants are facing. Mm-hmm. So to get a uh, 
specialized specific help is really very important. Mm. And so I guess uh, awareness is uh, the first step and that their willingness to, to ask for help, to say, you no, know, where can I get resources to, you know, so like um, focus on the family some, and some other websites that they can call to get counselors. I think that's, that's great. Yeah. So I'm thankful that I'm in the pastor's network. And so I do have pastors that will call me uh, because they have somebody in their church that needs uh, specific help. Yeah, for so sure. They, so it, it is really um, an honor to receive such a uh, referral because they are saying that, well, it's not that they are not, ab- not capable. It's just that they don't have the time or the special training right. to, to help in this right. uh, issue. Yeah. So they are willing to, to be working, partnering with us to work to help their Absolutely. congregants. So that's yeah. great. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think we have a lot of good people doing being pastors, like, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but a lot, a, a, most of pastors uh, are not trained. I remember even when I did an MDiv in counseling, mm-hmm. so I have some quote-unquote training, uh, but I, when I haven't actually practiced a lot, right? When I was a pastor, I mean, I, I feel like I'm sort of equipped, sort of not, <laughs> right? So what nowadays when I train other like uh, counselors, if they are pastors, we say, well, no, focus on doing assessment. Right, if they can assess what's needed, then they can refer. Mm-hmm. I think what yes. you uh, mentioned, Estelle, is correct. Even if they were equipped, mm-hmm. if uh, they have training, they just don't can't have that kind of time. Having even a few families to work with, that would tie up a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. I mean, a pastor's job, is, I, as I recall, I did 12 years being a pastor. Like you, You're a jack of all trades, right? You do so many different pieces. Mm-hmm. A few families can tie down your whole week. Right, uh, that and it's also emotionally draining too. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you know, just even about how do we train pastors, uh, what to look for, how to uh, do assessment, and then how to do referral. I think that can be very helpful for them. Uh, not expecting them to do like therapeutic work, which is a different levels of work anyway. And even the, the college of uh, psychotherapists will talk about that. Mm-hmm. Right, they talk about it's different. Like spiritual counseling or counseling is very different than psychotherapy. Right. So, so that's uh, definitely some distinction around that. So, but so certainly in terms of the churches, I, I think we can certainly equip pastors or even church leaders, whoever they may be, to, to do some assessment, to, to learn how to assess, and then able to have a good referral list. be great if in-house, they have their own in-house counseling, that'd be great. But even in the small churches, if you don't, even having a good referral system will, will be have, have yeah. very helpful. Uh, I personally haven't been involved in the Chinese churches for a while now. I was after I left my own church, I went to the meeting house, so mm-hmm. much more broader, diverse background. So I can't speak to what's currently happening uh, in my past experience and just in general, not just one particular church or my own church, just in church in general. I found it that uh, most of the time, if you ask the church leadership whether family work is important, whether counseling is important, they will say yes, of course it is, right. Uh, but then when it comes to putting the money where the mouth is, when they actually need to invest in those programming, that's when I see them almost like they hold back. Because mm. all, all, especially in the Chinese churches, I find personally, it's always like mission, uh, you know, evangelism. Those things take more of a priority, which I mean, I get it. It's not like I, I disagree. But then it's almost like then becomes almost like uh, we have needs in terms of like family work. Uh, we, on one hand, we're saying that's needed. It's, it's important. But then there isn't actually a lot of resources that sort of put into it. So that's that was my experience yeah. when I was a pastor. I, I'm hoping that right now things are a little bit different in the in the Asian churches. I sure. don't know. 
But it was, it was always good to see some churches have their own. And I don't even think having their own counseling program is, is, the, is the key. It's great that they have it. But at least like some kind of referral system yeah. that they are not shy away from uh, refer. And, and I think what we've been talking about is even pastors themselves recognize I have limitation, whether it's time or abilities, then be honest with that and then able to refer. Yeah. I think that would be doing our people, uh, it would be helpful for them. Sure, right. and that doesn't mean that like you don't you stop pastoring the person. Exactly, it just means that like there's a realization that you can't be, you know, the the source of support for everything mm-hmm. that this person's yeah. going yeah. through. So, right. Yeah, and I, I agree with that because my husband will use the the, the phrase pastoral care mm-hmm. that you you will continue to yeah. give pastoral care mm-hmm. right. to your yeah. congregants. Mm-hmm. It's just that they need. It's, it's just like if if you are sick. You know, uh, then they need the doctor. Yeah, so sure. they have to go to the doctor, and, yeah. and we are not doctors. I mean, that's actually how the church was wired, yeah, right? Like right. that's why there are so many different gifts and so many yeah. different parts. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. sometimes we think that one person needs to do all of it, but right. that's not how it was intended. You know, the kingdom is so so much bigger, right? And that's why partnerships are that important for us to consider what the mission of God is. And perhaps you know, as we're talking, is part of it is just reclaiming a bigger picture. Yeah of what the mission of God is as God seeks to restore and redeem and bring shalom, that wholeness into all of us that we recognize that it is embodied within the church and the, the, the wider perspective of the church, not necessarily the local church, but that we can have these partnerships to be places and spaces for healing and for growth and for us to be thinking about how do we walk and journey with one another. Right. And so, just to finish off our episode for today, because we're almost out of time, we often finish off our episodes with a takeout box. One final thought of encouragement or challenge that you would want to leave our listeners to think about and to chew on, you know, as this episode finishes. So I'm going to ask you guys, you know, what would be one final thought that you would want to leave with our listeners as we finish this episode? A phrase that comes to my mind is Valley Walker. I have been trained by my professors. He left us this phrase to, that we are valley walkers. So I, I hope that people who choose to come to us will see us as someone that will partner with them, will work with them. It's, it's not that we are going to pinpoint at them, okay, you have this problem, you need to get this resolved, you know, and all that. But it's that we are here to give you Listening years, yeah, that we can try to understand you, where you're coming from, where you what you're experiencing, and then to walk with you in your journey of healing and recovery, yeah. And so sure. that's that's what I would like to see myself, also for pastors who are also valley walkers with their congregants. Yeah. So they may not, for different reasons, they may not be able to come to a professional psychotherapist, um, but if they are also walking with their pastors. Yeah. Maybe differently, uh, that they will also have the courage to come to the pastors to let them know that they are in need of something. Yeah. Uh, someone to hear them, someone to pray for pray for them with them, and someone to care for them. Sure. And then later on, maybe the church mm-hmm. can uh, help yeah. you know, mm-hmm. with that re- sure. referral list and yeah. resources and all that to be able to re- really connect a team to work and to bring mm. you re- healing and recovery. Yeah. So that's what I'm hoping. No, I think that's, that's an great. encouragement mm-hmm. for not just leaders and pastors, but hopefully for every Christ follower, that they mm-hmm. can be that presence of God for, sure. for one another, especially in the times of the valley 
and especially in times of suffering, that they're not there just to try to fix a person or or try to just identify something, but that they are really sharing and extending God's presence and love and care just mm-hmm. to another person to yes. walk with them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Amen. Right. So recently I came across this term called model minority, right? It talks about, it's a sociology term, talks about how certain people group, for example, like Asian group, it's almost like there's a myth around this people group, right? We're supposed to be somehow good in math because we're smart. <laughs> we're all doctors. Lawyers. Like, you know, this, this myth around this, uh, like, for, like for Asian, right? You're, you're supposed to be very together, right? You're supposed to be really good at what you do, you know, all that stuff, right? Uh, and I think sometimes because we do take on that myth too, but we are fallen, like, like what Sal was saying, right? Is that we are fallen people, so we, we have weaknesses, we have struggles, just like anybody else, right? doesn't matter. I, for my, what I notice when I work with people, on the outside, we seem very together, right? We have good jobs, good family. We can check off all the boxes. <laughs> but, right, and, but on the inside, sometimes there's always, I find, and because that's what I look at too, right, is I notice there's a lot of fear around that am I enough? Right, I think that's especially is true. I don't know for my work with Asian is is pretty typical, because we we are taught that you have to meet this standard, you have to meet this criteria, but oftentimes we don't. We can't always be perfect. We can't always get a hundred. So when <laughs> we get ninety eight, right, and then our view, whether it's induced by our parents or not, we, our view is that what happened to the two percent, the the not enough piece, right? So the the sense of feeling this fear around, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I, I think that uh, that really affects people in different ways, yeah. right? Either it paralyzes them or makes them sort of sit with that pain that they can't handle. So I see them, that's when they go off track. They look for other outlets, addiction, porn, uh, drugs, or whatever. It's just that find ways to, for them to escape from that pain, right? So if that was something I was going to leave with your audience... Is that well? I think that that is a myth, right? That we are supposed to be supposed to be very together. I know I'm not always together. Doesn't matter how many letters we were joking about letters behind our name. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many letters we have. I mean, that I mean, obviously, there are always days that I'm gonna feel like I'm not enough. Sure. I look at feelings like fear is a as a volume, right? From one to ten, right? Ten is really extremely loud. One is like you know barely. You have it, right? The problem is not having fear, not having, in, like, feeling the fear of not being enough. It's about how loud the volume gets. When, we get, when it gets too loud and I don't know what to do with that, that's when I start to get reactive, I act out, mm. right? But if I can some some ways of coping with that fear, whether it's through therapy or even through having secure relationship with, with our loved ones, with our spouse, with our support group, when we are in this, like, sort of faith community, that have feel like we get support. And I think that's when, when we feel like that fear is not as loud. Yeah. yeah. That's when we can cope better. Right. So, I mean, yeah, if that was one thing I would say, yeah, I mean, be, be vulnerable and able to look at those fears that we have, uh, that we don't have to be always to be to like, so together. Sure. So like, you know, even though that's the myth, right. That that's what this culture is supposed to, to be or what we're supposed to have. But oftentimes we, we're not that. At least we can always continue to sustain that level, right? So And be okay with that, right? Which is most of the time we have trouble accepting that when we fall, right? Mm. Yeah, but I think that's part of that. We are fallen creatures. That's why we need grace. 
that's when Jesus comes in and says, "No, you're fine because I got your back." Mm. Right? That's yeah. That's the gospel right there. Yeah. Thank you, Herman and Stella, so much for joining us today on this conversation. It's been really great, and and there's so much for us to kind of think about (laughs) as we go on. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. That helps us get this conversation out there, and remember to share it to others. And we'd love to hear back from you. What are your thoughts on mental health, mental illness, and how the church should respond? You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, or email And we'd love to dialogue with you on that. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.